Today, we're going to do something a little different. I'm going to take a news story and explain what it means. Okay, I'm pretty sure you don't need an explanation as to what the news story means, but I am going to point out what is really being said, how a science story is really a story about faith and belief in God, all on the way to answering the question, did science just invent God? Welcome to the Sky Pilot Podcast that explores questions of faith, spirituality, and religion. I'm Dan Matthews, and I don't have all the answers, but I do enjoy the questions. Welcome to the podcast where every question is an invitation into a spiritual quest, and you're invited along for the journey. If you follow national news at all, actually, if you follow any kind of news at all, national news, international news, tabloid news, even blurbs you see on social media, you have probably at least encountered a headline that reads something like this. Scientists think it is certain we are living in a sim. Now, for those of you who might not know what a sim is, the idea is pretty simple. (laughs) Oh, my goodness. Oh, that was really... No? Didn't work? Okay. Anyway, sim is short for simulation and primarily came to us from the world of gaming. A simulation game is a game that simulates aspects of reality, meaning that a sim is a game that you can enter into a virtual reality and interact with it as much as the programmers can allow, as if you were actually in that environment. If you've watched the movie The Matrix, then you already know exactly what this is, because in The Matrix, humanity is unwittingly no longer living their lives in a real, physical, tangible world, but instead the world as it is seen and experienced in a sim. The reality known by humanity in the movie is actually a computer-generated reality. Now, there is a Swedish-born professor of philosophy named Nick Bostrom who teaches at Oxford in England and who, if not the originator of this living in a sim idea, is at least one of the most vocal proponents. But I should say he's by no means an outlier. He has convinced some pretty well-known and famous people, Neil deGrasse Tyson amongst them, that this is the way things actually work in our world. Now, just a quick reminder, since we're going to be talking about Neil deGrasse Tyson, he's an American astrophysicist and who, I would argue, is the most well-known, recognizable, and quoted scientist of our current generation in the United States. If you don't know who he is, he's not so much in the camp of people like Einstein, meaning he's creating cutting-edge science but more like a Carl Sagan who functions as the voice of science to the rest of the world. He has a very popular show and podcast called Star Talk. So the proponents of this idea have proposed that you and I are not living in true reality. We are actually living in an extremely complex computer simulation of reality that is so artfully created that it is for us impossible to know at our current level of technology whether or not we are in it or not. There's no way to look around us and go, oh, that proves we're in a sim. Look, at this point, you may say to yourself, and I get it, this is a strange question. Why does it matter if this is the nature of our reality, if we have absolutely no mechanism, no ability, no way to test or know if this weird theory is correct? Well. This is where it gets kind of interesting. There are people within the world of philosophy, science, even math, who believe that they have come darn close to proving this simulation reality theory is true. 
Now, it's not very complicated, so let me just run you through it right now. Here's how the proof goes. First, realize that if we live in a sim, then this sim, this computerized sim, has been created and programmed by some extremely advanced civilization. And the proof for this theory centers around conjecturing about those extremely advanced societies. So, according to the theory, there are three possibilities. One, no civilization ever reaches this level of technology. Either they stagnate or they go extinct first. Number two possibility. They could develop the technology, but then just kind of lose interest before going this far. Number three, they do reach this level of technology and they do develop the kind of extremely complex and advanced simulations that we're talking about here. Now, if we assume that one and two are not the case, then by elimination, the argument goes, there must be advanced civilizations who are capable of this and have done it. Now, here is where we get into the probabilities working their way into this theory. And don't worry, even if you have an aversion to math, probabilities, and statistics, this is really simple and easily understandable stuff. So if there are these societies that can and have done this, then they have created simulation worlds that themselves probably go on to develop to a point so advanced that these created simulation worlds now have the same three possibilities that I named before being applied to them. So they now, in turn, create their own sims that proceed down a similar path. So the theory at this point is pretty simple. Advanced society or societies that are way, way ahead of us develop the ability to create multiple sim worlds in which each, in turn, becomes advanced enough itself to create multiple sim worlds themselves. So let me put this kind of in numerical perspective. There are five societies somewhere scattered across all the universe that have developed to a point that can do this. And each of them, and I'm just making up five, each of them creates five sims. This seems like it might be a little low, but who knows? Let's go with it. Each of them creates five sim worlds, and then those five sim worlds each create five more sim worlds. Now, the reason why I'm doing five every generation is that it's easier to do the math. Each of those go on to create five more sim worlds. So first, there are five real worlds, then there are 25 created worlds, then those 25 created worlds go on to create between them 125 created worlds. Each time, each generation has a multiplier of five. And this is assuming that each creates no more than five. Here's where the math gets kind of interesting. So just within 10 generations of this, there would be well over 10 million sims that were created just in the last, the latest generation alone. And there's still only five real worlds. Now, according to the proponents of this example, the math's pretty simple. To be more exact, but to use kind of rough numbers, after just 10 generations, if you add everything together, so there were 10 million in the current created generation, but if you add all previous generations together as well, there would be a little over 12 million sims and, again, only five real worlds. Now, imagine someone tells you, take this scenario to be true and accurate. This is the way reality actually works. Try to figure out where you are in all of this. Or more succinctly, is it more likely that you are one of the five real worlds or one of the 12 million sims? 
it's pretty easy to see the statistics are overwhelmingly in favor of our being in a sim. Not to mention that we don't have the ability to create this level of computer modeling ourselves. So again, if this is true, then we are in a sim and not a very old or advanced one to boot. Now, let me say, I think there are some pretty obvious assumptions that are potentially wrong or problematic with this whole idea, but I'm going to get to that later. Let's go back to Neil deGrasse Tyson. He's one of the people who heard this and said, yes, yes, that makes sense to me. I think that is likely correct. One of the things you should know about him before we talk about him much more is that, and this is my opinion, in my opinion, he takes a dim view of religion, which is fine. We live in a world in which we get to choose, and I don't think he would publicly say what I just said, that he takes a dim view of religion. But I've listened to him a lot, and I think it's a pretty fair assessment, actually. Either way, he has been vocal about the fact that he does not believe in God, although he doesn't call himself an atheist because he doesn't want that label, but he doesn't believe in God, and those are his words. So in an episode of his radio show, Star Talk, he describes aspects of the sim theory like this. Now, before I play you this sound clip, I want you to listen to the way he describes this. I want you to listen to the words they use. And by the way, you will hear two voices. He has a guest on this show with him, often a comedian. Chuck Nice, I think, does these frequently with him, the comedian. So this is Chuck Nice and Neil deGrasse Tyson. And the first voice you will hear is from Chuck Nice. Enough computing power to imbue the Sims inside of the program with all of the human traits that we possess now. Correct. Not only our human traits, but the world. But the world. The world itself. Right. And you don't have to have all the world existing there at all times, right. that might be an unrealistic amount of computing power. Right. You just need... Enough the, of the world that they see around them. That they see around them. Right. So you want to start digging. and oh, that's ha- so funny. And I haven't put the earth there. Just, there's a flag that goes up in the programmer, and they say, up, oh, need more earth. So, right. so they put earth beneath you while you can keep digging. All right. Before we talk about that clip, I'm going to give you one more. Because they go on to talk about some of the inherent limits that are placed within the sim itself. And so here, I'm going to play you another clip, and then we're going to talk about these. Maybe that's (laughs) why we can't travel faster than the speed of light. Because if we could, we'd be able to get to another galaxy. Before they could program program that galaxy. (laughs) (laughs) So much fun. (laughs) So the programmer put in that limit. Put in the limit. Because that's the fastest they can get. We can't can't program fast enough. So we put in a limiter. Okay, so the point of this podcast, the point of what I'm doing right now, is not really to address the potential reality of this theory, though I will tell you some flaws I see in this theory a little later. Now, Neil deGrasse Tyson has at some point said he thinks this theory is true and accurate and compelling enough that he has even said it needs to be disproven then to him rather than continuing to be proven. Now, I should say that he has later after this, said that he now questions and even somewhat doubts this theory. But the point I'm about to make will still stand because here is a guy who is vocal about not believing in God and yet describes the world in which we live as having been created and then actively amended by a programmer. Now, I don't need to be a genius to say that those are just different words for describing a created world and it's God. Now, I understand that perhaps this kind of talking about God as a programmer makes you uncomfortable. But someone who is studying the philosophy of, say, religions from an academic standpoint would look at this and say, 
what they have just described is a world of beings and the God who created them and how that God interacts with them. Now, am I out to prove that they or everybody should believe in God because of this? Or that they're wrong? Or that science should take its lead from theology? No, none of that. People get to believe what they want to believe. But when someone says they don't believe something, they don't believe in God, and then that person uses new language to describe the very thing that they have actively said they don't believe, well, at that point I do think that then it is interesting, worth recognizing and pointing out. Now, having done all of that, you might now ask, Dan, do you believe we are living in a sim? No, I don't. And I'll tell you what I consider to be the problems with this theory. First, let's take a word that you no doubt learned in school, and let's reacquaint ourselves with it. Anthropomorphic. The word means attributing human emotions, motivation, understanding, or traits to non-human things or creatures. So the first and pretty major problem with this theory is that it is an example of anthropomorphism writ large. We are currently at a place in the development of our own civilization, and more to the point, our technology in which we are fascinated, and more accurately said, we are absolutely, totally consumed as a society by one particular growing edge, and that is our computing power. Almost every major advancement and development we can think of that's taking place right now is being influenced and driven by our still fairly recent development of computers. So, of course, we would wonder things like, are we living in a sim? Because although we don't have the ability to do that currently, this is our latest cutting edge, and we have reached a point where at least we can extrapolate and imagine this happening. So the basis of this theory is that other civilizations who are way, way more advanced than us have developed this unbelievable level of technology, but have basically the same interests that we have as humans on this planet in this current generation. Look, we are shaped and affected in our values by everything from our environment to our lifespan to the resources within our ecosphere. So ponder for a moment a society of a truly advanced civilization in which life develops very differently. They don't eat. They use something akin to photosynthesis. They don't need clothes. Knowledge and learning are their ultimate goals. Why would we think they perceive the world and are influenced by the same things we are? They might be a society that develops technology, but instead of valuing continuing advancement, they put value on something right, totally different. It would be bizarre for a foreign, alien, other world culture to mimic ours in such kind of an obvious way. So first of all, the motivation is problematic because it is a classic example of anthropomorphism. Okay, here's the second flaw as I see it. If an amazingly advanced culture decided to create a sim, why would they place the physical limits that we currently experience in our own world in their newly created sim? Think of it this way. If you and I could create a sim 
that we can go into and interact with. We could actually put ourselves in fully, not just virtually, but fully. If we could go into that sim, would we just recreate this world? Or would we create a world that was wildly different with almost unlimited potential? Why would they place the physical limits that we currently have in our reality into their new sim? Why wouldn't everyone have superpowers? Why would they create a world that actually simulates reality and not something that's unlimited and amazing? Imagine our world, the world we actually live in 140 years ago, say. The industrialized world has developed. People are beginning to project some of the amazing things that technology, mechanics, are going to be able to produce. And so they begin to realize, you know what? We will be able to someday create some robotics that will be able to interact with our world. Then imagine that they say, you know, probably in the future, our Later descendants will take the ability to create robots and they're going to create horses. Unbelievable horses that can ride and ride and go and go and never have to stop or never have to rest, never have to eat, never have to be fed, never have to be watered. The world will be filled with robotic horses. Well, of course, that doesn't make any sense to us today because we look back at them and say, that whole theory is based on modern developments, but modern developments that hold your world in some sort of form of stagnation where you are. And this whole theory of creating a sim in which you can move into it and live in it and recreate the world in which you live is really strikingly similar probably to a future generation even that looks back on us today. Look, our current world, if created by a programmer, seems like something that's kind of, well, by comparison, fairly at times flawed and boring. Why create this as your sim when if you have that level of computer programming available, you don't need to have limits on the world you create. Wouldn't you create a sim without disease, without suffering? Wouldn't you create a sim in which the participants have almost limitless power to change themselves and their environment, to interact with the world around them and each other with very few limits? If we are living in an ongoing sim, it seems like it would be more wide open than the one in which we live. So, what's the point of all of this? Well, for me, even if you don't want to believe in God, I think there are some basic questions about human experience that, no matter how secular you want your studies of science, philosophy, math, biology, or ethics to be, those questions are going to naturally creep back into the conversation. Now, does this mean that I believe every one of us is ultimately going to believe in God? No, I don't think that's what I'm saying right here. It just means, to me, that if you ask very many probing questions in your attempt to learn more about the world in which you live, you may not wind up believing God, but you will certainly wind up, at some point, as they did, coming back to the question of God again and again. That's all for today. If you'd like to get in touch with me to ask a question, suggest the topic for a future episode, or just tell me what you thought about this episode, I would love to hear from you. My email address is dan at skypilot.zone. And on your spiritual journey, may you ask questions, seek answers, and boldly go wherever the Thanks quest Thanks for listening takes you. to SkyPilot Faith Quest. I invite you to send me a question or leave a review 
And remember, the sign of a strong faith, solid religion, or healthy spiritual journey is not certainty, but that you keep asking questions.